Hey everybody, welcome into To The Point. Are we doing well? A lot to get it to today. We got the Super Bowl this coming weekend. It's the big game, the last game of the season. Going to talk about props, best bets, all the major, all the major pinpoints we will discuss today. The best betting angles, all that is forthcoming so stay tuned for that later on in the show we're also going to talk about the NBA trade deadline because that happened that not a whole lot transpired honestly it was a it was a quiet day again why the NBA has this during the Super Bowl week I don't understand that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but they did it and now it's passed, so we'll see. We'll recap it all. The The Raptors were active amongst uh, other teams, so we'll, we'll see what transpires here in a little bit. Also, we'll talk about the Mikhail Sergachev injury that was pretty nasty last night. And we will uh, look at UFC Vegas 86, which is this weekend. So lots to talk about on today's program. Well, let's start with the Super Bowl. One game left in the NFL season. San Francisco, Kansas City. Rematch of four years ago. Same head coaches. Different quarterbacks. You do have a lot of the same players. But it's an opportunity for redemption for the San Francisco 49ers. A chance for them to do what they didn't do in 2020. Heading into the game, here are some of the things I'm looking at, looking that I'm curious to see. Legereus Sneed versus Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. Who is going to match up? Who is Sneed going to match up against? I think he might move around a bit. Debo is so versatile because he can be in the slot, he can be on the outside. Brandon Ayuk is primarily an outside receiver. Sneed, to me, has elevated himself into being one of the best corners in football. Trent McDuffie on the other side from the University of Washington is a pretty damn good player in his own right. So the Kansas City defense has so much talent with those two guys, Chris Jones, Bolton, George Karloftis. It really is the strength of their team, and that's saying something where you look at it and Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the ball. But I'm curious to see how Steve Spagnola and and the Kansas City Chiefs decide to attack San Francisco. How are we going to play this? What are we going to do? I would put Snead on Ayuk the entire game. I'd keep McDuffie on Debo Samuel. The linebacking core for Kansas City is pretty solid when you're dealing with guys like Kittle, Jawan Jennings, who can play in the middle a little bit, who's you know, Mr. Third Down, and obviously you have Christian McCaffrey, who's incredibly difficult as well. You look at the other side, Kelsey, Fred Warner's a middle linebacker. Middle linebacker is not primarily just a coverage guy. You don't just take one person. You can cover the entire field. You make plays on pretty well every snap. And Fred Warner is the best middle linebacker in football, and he has been for some time. But looking at Kansas City's offense, Rasheed Rice, 
Travis Kelsey. They really are the nucleus. You throw in Isaiah Pacheco, but he's more of the running game, not as much out of the backfield. And if you eliminate those two weapons and you're relying on Marquez Valdez, Scantling, snap in, snap out, and you're relying on just basically wide receivers that are unproven or that have let down Kansas City this season, you're going to be in a tough spot. It's going to be difficult to win that game. So for San Francisco, their defense has been incredibly disappointing. They've given up nearly 200 yards rushing in their two postseason games. Chase Young, it sounds like he's going to play. I wouldn't be, to me, he'd be a healthy scratch, just the effort he gives on a snap-in, snap-out basis. Nick Bosa's great. Armstead is a force. But looking at it, I think Joe Tooney's not going to play for Kansas City. Looking at the San Francisco defensive line, this game very well could be the Super Bowl of Tampa Bay against Kansas City, where Brady won the MVP. He shouldn't have won the MVP, but he did. But it was the Tampa Bay defense who ran after Mahomes the entire day, did not let him hit any time in the pocket. They hit him physical, and it was a brutal. They never had a chance to win. Devontae David, Devin White, Shaq Barrett, they were a force. And that weak Kansas City offensive line could not do anything about it. Well, looking at it, Taylor, Donovan Smith, no Joe Tooney, so you're bringing in Alec Reddy, you're bringing in replacements to that offensive line to go up against Nick Bosa and these elite guys. That could be a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. Keeping Mahomes upright, not allowing him to take big hits, not making him scramble the entire game, letting him have time in the pocket for plays to develop so he can find Travis Kelsey down the field after three to four seconds of a play. So that's another plot line I have in this game is just, is the game going to devolve into that type of Super Bowl where Tampa Bay just owned the line of scrimmage and it was over from Jump Street? They were never in danger of losing that particular game. I think both defenses have the capability of playing great in this game. I think we very well could see a low-scoring ball game. Back and forth, good defensive plays. The team that comes up with a turnover, Mahomes, has not thrown an interception in the Super Bowl. And he's played in a few of them, which is a pretty impressive stat. He has not turned the ball over so far this postseason. Continuing that trend will lead to success for the Kansas City Chiefs. We look at Kansas City. They put up zero points in the second half against the Baltimore Ravens. So their offense is not prolific either. If you're looking at it, San Francisco is a better offense. Kansas City is a better defense. Special teams, I'll lean Kansas City because Harrison Bucker is one of the best field goal kickers in the entire league. It's an interesting game. I'll say this. Obviously, I'm not covering it in Vegas, but I'm listening to different content. I'm listening to interviews. I don't think people are thrilled that this is the Super Bowl. 
I think there's a sector of the audience who love it because Taylor Swift's in the in you know Taylor Swift's boyfriend's in the game. I think there's a sector of the audience who's mad that Taylor Swift is going to be connected to this game. The NFL obviously isn't. They are thrilled that Taylor Swift will be making the trip back from Japan. But these two teams played not long ago. Mahomes is always in the Super Bowl. That's that's the, the label now. Well, what I think we've learned from the NFL is if you're a great quarterback, you're in a lot of Super Bowls. If we think the last 25 years, Big Ben was in three, Tom Brady was in 10, just going through the AFC, Patrick Mahomes has now been in four. It'll be his fourth this weekend. Peyton Manning was in four. It's always these the same quarterbacks that get there. So this Mahomes trend is not anything new. It's the way it goes. You're a great quarterback. You play on a decent team. Sometimes you get back. So I don't think it's it's a boring trend to see that team there all the time. I think something that media does and people can get lazy is you forget about greatness. You forget about what the accomplishment actually is to get back there year after year. And I even can say I do this because I view Michael Jordan as a better player, as a better athlete than LeBron James. And I still view it that way, and I'll have that opinion until they put me in the ground. But LeBron getting to 10 championships, Jordan only got to six. You get to more of them, you're probably going to end up losing more of them. Tom Brady played in 10. He lost three of them. Lost to Eli Manning twice. But Mahomes, Brady, these quarterbacks playing in all the Super Bowls, it's not a new trend. It's what's happened. Joe Montana played in four. He won four. So domination, getting to the ultimate game, is not a new phenomenon. It can get boring, I guess. But the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. The more boring thing in this game to me is the halftime show. I don't care about Usher particularly. The last time I heard an Usher song was about 2006 at a school dance. So if I was... If I was an outside viewer and I didn't like football and I just tune into the Super Bowl every other year because I might like the halftime performer, like you might say, I'm going to watch because Rihanna is doing the halftime. Okay. I, I want to watch because I want to see what Carrie, Katy Perry does or Lady Gaga. Great. To me, Usher doesn't jump the shark. It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't do anything to make you want to tune in. He's a good-looking guy, I guess, if you women want to stare at him, but it doesn't do anything for me. But the game itself is is interesting. You have the story of Patrick Mahomes, the most talented quarterback to ever play the sport. And the guy chasing Brady, even though in all likelihood he'll never probably get close to seven Super Bowls, but Patrick Mahomes at the end of his career will likely be viewed as the LeBron to Michael Jordan, the Mahomes to Brady. He won't have as many championships, but was he better than Tom Brady at the sport? Yes. So you have that argument. But then you have the Goliath, and on the other side of the ball, you have Brock Purdy. Mr.
Mr. Irrelevant, one of the most criticized NFL this year. Mr. Irrelevant, but then you're put on a great team in San Francisco. San Francisco lets porn star Jimmy walk out the door. They decide not to move up in the draft. They decide to trade Trey Lance, who they took third overall, to make Jimmy Gar- uh, to make Brock Purdy their starting quarterback. Played every game. One of the four finalists for the MVP, which will be awarded tonight, hosted by Keegan Michael Key. Great choice. Love him. Mahomes was not nominated for the MVP. He's won it a few times, but he wasn't nominated this year. Brock Purdy was. Four-year starter at Iowa State. NFC Championship game, his first year, tears his rotator cuff, has to have Tommy John surgery. Year two, he gets the team back to the Super Bowl. That's pretty damn impressive stuff. But yet there's, oh, the team's great. He's a game manager, yada, yada, yada. Brock Purdy's not the perfect quarterback. Brock Purdy has his flaws, no doubt about it. He did not play well in either of the first half in the first two playoff games, but he played great in the fourth quarter, and they're here now. San Francisco's, I guess their plot line going into this game is redemption, but I think they have something to prove. All the pressure's on San Francisco because Kyle Shanahan's played in two Super Bowls and he's lost them both. And he's choked away two Super Bowls. As an offensive coordinator, he had a 28-3 lead on the New England Patriots. Dead to rights with the Falcons. You give the ball to Devontae Freeman three more times, Tom Brady 6-4, and and Mahomes isn't that far away. But they don't. Patriots come back. Julian Edelman makes a crazy catch, and Kyle Shanahan has egg on his face. Next season goes to San Francisco, pairs with John Lynch. They get to the Super Bowl in 2020. They have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they lose by 10. Two opportunities to be a Super Bowl champion like his father, Mike Shanahan, is. John Elway, another quarterback in that realm who made it to multiple Super Bowls with the Broncos from the AFC. But his father's a multiple-time Super Bowl champion. Kyle's won jack squat so far. He has the opportunity to get one. Brock Purdy has the opportunity. He could do nothing the rest of his career. If he wins this weekend, he is a Super Bowl champion. Trent Dilfer was on a loaded defensive team with the Baltimore Ravens. Doesn't change the fact that he's a Super Bowl champion. It's like winning a Heisman. You have it on your resume until you're dead. I think San Francisco's chasing revenge. They're chasing validation. They're chasing the credit that they feel they deserve. While Kansas City is chasing legacy. Andy Reid looking for number three. He's he's getting asked week after week, day after day about retirement. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's going to continue to keep coaching whether they win or lose. Travis Kelsey, I don't know. Could he retire and Taylor Swift and him pop out a few kids in the next couple years? Sure. 
you know, as the man, he could do that and still play football. But wouldn't it be something if Jason and Travis Kelsey retire same time and they can go into Canton in the same year? Because both of them will be first ballot Hall of Famers. Maybe don't think about that, but I know if I was if I was a great athlete, I'm just thinking about a good friend of mine, if, if Sawyer. If Sawyer and I played a sport together and we could retire at the same time and we were good enough to go into something together, a hall of, of very good, I'd want to do it with him because that'd be a pretty special moment for our families to be there and witness it. You'd have that moment forever. If Jason is retiring, which Adam Schefter reported that he was, and then Jason later debunked on the New Heights podcast, to me, Adam Schefter doesn't get many reports wrong. I think Jason's very much considering retirement. Travis's career would end winning back-to-back Super Bowls, finishing his career with the most postseason receptions in the history of the NFL, more than Jerry Rice, more than... Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Tony Gonzalez, the man you looked up to. You have people like Shannon Sharp saying that Travis Kelsey's the best tight end ever, and that's saying something is Shannon Sharp's a Hall of Famer. So you could have some final endings for Kansas City. Chris Jones unlikely to come back. Is Travis going to come back? Is Spags going to come back? He's in his mid-60s as the defensive coordinator. You're spending a lot of money. How's the team going to continue to compete? So there are. St- I hope this little spiel has helped pique your interest. If you're going to watch football like me, you're going to watch football. But just think about these things a little bit. Now, right after the championship games, the line was minus one and a half. in favor of the San Francisco 49ers. It's been almost two weeks. It is now San Francisco minus two and a half. Here we go. Last NFL pick of the year. Now I've had a pretty damn good year picking games. I bet on Kansas City. The last two weeks. And they paid both. They beat Buffalo straight up, which will be covering the number. And they defeated the Baltimore Ravens straight up, covering the three and a half number, obviously. So they've done everything they've had to do. San Francisco... Meanwhile, I bet on Green Bay. Green Bay covered the number. I bet on the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions tried not to cover the number, but they did. So betting against San Francisco has been a winner. They've been a team that doesn't start off in the first half. They start in the second half while Kansas City has been ready to go from Jump Street. San Francisco has the better team, top to bottom. But I think Kansas City's defense is a little bit better. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't think Mahomes is going to turn the ball over. I think Brock Purdy will turn the ball over at least once. 
and I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs plus two and a half, and I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs to win the game outright. They just have that winning formula. I expect a defensive player to make a big play. I expect Rasheed Rice to have a big game, and I expect the Kansas City Chiefs, who in years past they would not do this, but the maturity of Mahomes, Andy Reid, in saying, screw the statistics, we just want to find a way to win a game, will prevail. Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a game. He's going to run the football. He's got all the tools. They got a, that offensive line. Don't worry about the pass rush. Give it to Pacheco. So I like Kansas City. Another painful loss for Kyle Shanahan. But that's where I see this going. Now we're not done because Super Bowl has a lot of props. And I like a good prop bet. And you can find some good ones. Let's talk about Super Bowl MVP. The favorite right now on FanDuel Sportsbook is Patrick Mahomes at plus 150. And he's a pretty heavy favorite. Quarterbacks normally win this award. Normally. However, you did have Cooper Cup winning it when the Rams won their Super Bowl. Malcolm Smith won it in 2013 with the Seahawks. Malcolm Butler should have won it when the Patriots won that Super Bowl. Santonio Holmes won it with the Pittsburgh Steelers with that incredible catch in the back of the end zone. So it does happen where position players, defensive guys, win the MVP. That Tampa Super Bowl, again, another defensive player should have won the award, maybe Shaq Barrett. So you got Mahomes plus 150, Brock Purdy plus 210. At San Francisco, if you have San Francisco winning the game, Brock Purdy, you get him at a plus number, decent little number. I think voters are going to like that story, even though they don't like to give him a lot of credit. So there might be some spite there. You have Christian CMC plus 450. You have Travis Kelsey, who would make a lot of sense if he has a big game. Taylor Swift running down to the field. Swifty's going crazy. Maybe end his career with a Super Bowl MVP. I don't see that happening. Debo plus 2,500. Pacheco plus 2,500. I don't mind that bet. When I think about this, I think you go with your gut and you pick the guy that you think is going to be Super Bowl MVP. So to me, I'm picking Isaiah Pacheco. Plus 2,500. I think Pacheco will be the Super Bowl MVP, despite the fact that Mahomes is the quarterback and Mahomes is treated like Tom Brady, where sometimes you get the award even if you don't deserve it. I like. I think Pacheco's going to have a big game. He's going to run the football. I expect him to get a couple touchdowns. Another prop I like is anytime Pacheco touchdown, anytime rushing touchdown for the... Kansas City Chiefs, Pacheco right now, anytime touchdown score, minus 125. Not great odds, but again, sometimes you got to take layups. I hate it, but take a take a plus, a take a minus at this point. For me, so you pick the guy you think, then you on another ticket, 
you go with your shot in the dark. You go with your crazy pick and go, if a game goes this way and it breaks open, who's going to win the MVP? My pick is Legereus Sneed, the corner. What if he has a pick six? Or has two interceptions and Kansas City wins by three points? He's their best corner. You can make an argument he's been their best defensive player this year. Ayuk has better odds. Rasheed Rice, George Kittle, Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, Fred Warner. Sneed right now is at plus 18,000. His numbers, it was at plus 24,000 the other day. So he's, he's the odds, not getting his great odds. Still plus 18,000 for Legereus Sneed to win Super Bowl MVP. My shot in the dark is Legereus Sneed. At least an interception in the game, possibly another big play, and if it is low scoring and the defense plays fantastic, limiting that whole pro- limiting that high pro- high profile offense of the San Francisco 49ers, I think Legereus Sneed will be that guy. He is my shot in the dark pick for Super Bowl MVP. Another prop I love. Jake Moody. If you don't know who Jake Moody is, he's the field goal kicker for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a rookie and he's shaky as hell. Missed a kick against the 49ers. Sorry, against the Packers. Missed an extra point against the Detroit Lions. Missed some easy kicks in the regular season. He's a shaky guy. Played at Michigan. I think San Francisco wishes they had Robbie Gold, the veteran, who hasn't missed a kick in his re- in his postseason career. But he's retired. So the prop I like with Jake Moody, you can get it at plus 210 right now on FanDuel Sportsbook. Plus 210 to miss a field goal during the game. Any point misses a field goal for Jake Moody. And you cash. You win. I think he will miss a field goal. I don't trust him. Rookie kicker playing in your first Super Bowl. If the money's on the line, can you put it through the uprights? The the weather won't be a factor because you're playing in a dome, but he's played in good weather all year, and he has not been good for San Francisco. Jake Moody, plus 210 to miss a field goal. Right now, Travis Kelsey's over-under is 71.5 receiving yards. Which is quite a bit, honestly. He had about that last week, 11 catches. He was great. I'm going Kelsey over 71.5. I think he has another decent game. Might not get to 100 yards, but I think he'll get close. He have a few chunk catches. And to me, he just, he can do it to me. That's just, he's always, he finds a way to get open. Finds a way to have an impact on the game. 
So I like that one. Another shot in the dark to score two plus touchdowns. You can get Christian McCaffrey right now at plus 230. If you don't like this one, I don't mind this one either, taking McCaffrey. But you can also get plus money that either team will score a one-yard touchdown on Sunday. So you might get tackled at the one. You might get a pass interference in the end zone. The ball is lined up at the one-yard line. Running back gets the ball or the quarterback sneak. It's just a one-yard touchdown during the game. I like that to happen. Might seem strange, but I'm telling you, it's a... You can get good good odds on this. See anything else I like? I like Mahomes under 262.5 passing yards. That's the that's the number right now on him. And also like as a position, I like the running back position to score the first touchdown of the game. You can get that at plus 145. And obviously McCaffrey anytime touchdown. So those are the props that I really like. I didn't focus on the anthem. You can do that on FanDuel. Like novelties, coin toss winner, I'm not really into that. National anthem length, over 90.5 seconds, under 90.5 seconds. I believe it's Reba McIntyre. Temperature at time of kickoff. Who will be mentioned first in MVP speech? Minus 125, you have God. Teammates plus 260. Yeah, you can bet on this. Which coach would throw the first challenge flag? Will there be a doink? <laughs> will the MVP mention Taylor Swift in his speech? Well, if it's Travis Kelsey, I guarantee he will. Plus 520. Will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor Swift? <laughs> will Andy Reid mention Taylor Swift in his podium interview slash speech? I can't see that happening. But the big game is this weekend. Waiting all year for this. Can't wait. But I think the game will be good. Two great teams. Two, I think the two best tight ends in the game and have been the best tight end for a long time. So I can't wait to watch it this coming weekend. Other NFL news over the last couple of days, nothing major. Brian Johnson, who was the Eagles offensive coordinator last season, has been hired as a to the offensive staff of the Washington Commanders. So Dan Quinn fires Eric Bieniemy, but he brings on Brian Johnson, hires Cliff Kingsbury. So he's putting his staff together. In the chart the Chargers, you had obviously Jim Harbaugh head coach. He brings over Jesse Minter, who is the his defensive coordinator at Michigan. Then he hires Greg Roman, who worked with Lamar Jackson for four years as his offensive coordinator. So now Justin Herbert will work with Greg Roman. So that's coming together. But after this game, it's a a little over a month until NFL free agency. It's on March 15th. 
So a little over a month, we'll get to that big moment where Chris Jones and Snead on the Chiefs are both free agents. Two really important players. You have other players, Kirk Cousins. Justin Jefferson needs a new contract in Minnesota. Sounds like Saquon Barkley's going to hit free agency with the New York Giants after being franchise tag last year. You'll have draft buzz, trade rumors. Always seems to be a Caleb Williams rumor out there. So that's all forthcoming. But you have the big game first. And as I said off the top, I like I like the I like the Kansas City Chiefs to win their second straight Super Bowl. I think it'll be I think it's just they're too they find a way to win these games. They find a way to cover the number. Anytime you can get the Chiefs as an underdog, you bet on them. And I think Mahomes gets his third ring Sunday night. Smooth to the NHL. Really awful moment last night where Mikhail Sergachev and Alexi Lafreniere tie up in the corner. Lafreniere throws a reverse hit. Nothing it happens all the time. Sergachev was his first game back from a lower body injury. His leg goes out for under him, goes down in a heap. He's left kind of screaming. They have to bring the stretcher out, and he's done. Well, Tampa Bay Lightning just announced that Mikhail Sergachev underwent surgery today to stabilize fractures to both the tibia and fibula in his left leg. Poof. That's a broken leg. It's a serious injury. No time to for his return. He's obviously done for the rest of the season. Could miss the start of, you know, parts of next season. That's not an easy to easy injury to come back from. Sergich has been a guy over the last number of years that's gotten dinged up. He had missed 17 games already this season. Tampa Bay's biggest weakness as a team is their defense. Sergachev's missed a bunch of games. Chernak's missed a bunch of games. So while they're hoping to still be a playoff team after making three straight Stanley Cup finals and Kucherov playing great, they open up $8 million in Caprum. So it does afford them that luxury. But they don't have a whole lot of assets. They don't want to spend a whole lot of much of money on a defenseman because they don't know if they can keep him. It almost has to be a rental, if you ask me. There's not a whole lot of elite defensemen on the market, quite frankly. That's part of the problem where every team around the league says we need help on the back end. Edmonton, Toronto, all these teams that believe they can win all suffer from the same, affl- same affliction where their defense scores just aren't good enough to win a Stanley Cup. But as I pull up the TSN trade bait board here, you look at it, Chris Tanev, Sean Walker, Noah Hannafin, 
there's good players there, but they're not elite guys. They're not, you know, game breakers by any means. Hannafin's the best guy available, but again, 26, do you want to take on a rental like that? Where do you believe that you can win? I'm not, I'm not sure Tampa does, quite honestly. You kind of have to have some belief with the roster that they have. It's veteran. You have guys that have been Stanley Cup champions. They're not going to punt on the season. You know, Nikita Kucherov, who you could argue has been the second best player in the sport from puck drop. But the Sergachev injury is brutal. You don't want to see that happen to him. You don't want to see that happen to the team. It kills you because you can't really do anything about it to aid your team in a major way. Teams might have to try to be creative. Find a team with a defenseman on term and make a deal. If you can. Because the way it's been going, with Monaghan going for a first, and now I was reading this morning, Sean Walker, they want a first in return for him, which is beyond crazy. Nick Sealers on the list. Like these guys are patchwork D. But bad teams around the league. And again, will these bad teams give up soon enough for you? Because for me, Tampa, they need a defenseman now. Tampa's already played 51 games. They played their 52nd game of the season tonight in Long Island. It creates an opportunity for a guy like Philip Myers, who's from, you know, the the Maritimes, the area for him to get called up and get into some games. I'm happy for him, but is it a long-term solution for the Tampa Bay Lightning to remain competitive? It just isn't. They've been Patrick from the beginning, Darren Radish playing big minutes, Victor Hedman at his age playing as much as he does. And don't get me wrong, Victor Hedman, who's a point-per-game guy at this stage, which we're averaging 24 minutes a night, is incredible. But Victor Hedman, you know, isn't a spring chicken. He's been around the block. He's 33. Still great. Still 6'7". Can still float around the ice. Can do it all. But Sergachev helps. He helps balance out defensive pairings. Looking at teams that could provide aid, like Buffalo is not going to trade Rasmus Dahlin. Buffalo is not going to trade Owen Power. You don't want to give up those guys. They're your future. Tampa, you have a team like Ottawa who's in your division. Ottawa's not like Brady Kachuk even admitted this this week, saying it's tough to punt away another season. You have Tom Shabbat there. I don't want him. Chikrin's on the market. Chikrin is an impending rental, potentially. You don't have to keep him. If you want to keep him, you can. You can make it work. He has his good traits and his bad traits. Is he a perfect defensive defenseman? No. I think he's been put in some tough spots in Ottawa. He seems to be given a bad deal of cards every damn time he hits the ice. I like Chikrin. I don't think Ottawa should give up on him, personally. 
But if you want to deal him, and I do think Ottawa needs to trade, whether it's now or in the offseason, because bringing back the same roster, just saying, oh, we got a new coach or a new goalie or a new some other idiot that you've hired to bring in isn't going to spark any confidence whatsoever that the team's going to turn it around. But if you wanted to, I, I wouldn't trade Jake Sanderson. I like him too much. But if Tampa called and they can put together a good offer for Jacob Chikrin, I'd listen if you're not going to keep him. Because you might lose him for nothing. Or you might have to trade him, trade away his RFA rights, potentially. Not a perfect player, but for Tampa, he'd be an upgrade on what they have. That's thinking a little more outside the box. A team that doesn't come to mind. Columbus is a pit. I don't want any of those players. Um, I don't see Nashville trading Roman Yossi. He's the only guy I really want in that team. We talked about Hannafin. We talked about Tanev. Chicago, no. Anaheim. Cam Fowler, maybe. Maybe. And he's obviously worse for wear, but it, the thing with him, I think a lot of these guys in Anaheim, you look at John Gibson, Cam Fowler, you go, oh, they stink now. Well, they've been playing on a bad team for five years. They're bound to be worse than they were. It's just what happens. Arizona, I don't think they want to give up on their season yet. They need a new rink. They need positive vibes in their seat arena. Sean Dursey, I like him. I wouldn't trade him. But I like him. So it's difficult. Flyers have depth pieces that they want to try to trade. Washington, other than John Carlson, doesn't have a big answer, and I don't think they're trading him. We know Calgary's guys. So Tampa is in a kind of a spot where, to me, they probably just pick up a depth defenseman. They don't really deal with that number. They hopefully can make the playoffs down the stretch with what they have. And they go from here. It's obviously a brutal blow. You never want to see it happen to anybody. I like Sergachev. I still think signing him was a good decision. Kick and flat out play. Now I see Rasmus Ristolainen has been mentioned in trade discussion. He's out of Philly as well. He's still got three years left. He makes a good chunk of change. I Three and a half million. I mean, Tampa could do it. Easy, but three years. I don't want him for three years, but that's just me. They have options. They certainly have options. And it, is, it was just, a, it was a nasty, you just saw him go down and I, you, you could tell it's his leg and his season was over. He's crying into the towel. Released an emotional post on Instagram today talking about the injury and the frustration. Good for him for talking about it. Get that stuff out, vent. 
but a tough blow for Tampa. And they got the Islanders again tonight who beat Toronto on Monday. I've watched one game of this team in the second half following the All-Star break. But I'm worried about this team. They're great in the first half. One of the best stories in the first half. They have one of the best goaltenders in the world. But I look at their success and I go, is this going to continue? Will this team play as well in the second half of the season? Contend for a playoff spot? Contend for a division title, which a spot they're in right now. And the team I'm worried about is the Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg remains one of the best defensive teams in the league. They have great details. They're in good positions. They play hard. They've battled through many injuries so far this year, and they've remained steadfast. First game of the All-Star break, they were completely flat. They played horrible in Pittsburgh, and they got drubbed. That's only one game. The reason I worry about the Winnipeg Jets is you're based on your team defense, your elite goaltender who's been great all year, and depth, just basically players chipping in. You'll get a team like Toronto Maple Leafs. They don't have any. They have their best players play well, or nobody else chips in. Winnipeg is. We're going to do everything together. Winnipeg is third in the Central, but they have games in hand on Colorado and on the Dallas Stars. Winnipeg does not have any player who's a point per game so far this year, which is quite staggering. Nobody. Mark Scheifele is forty-one points in forty-two games. Ehlers thirty-five and forty-eight. Monahan thirty-five and fifty. Morrissey, 34 and 48. Perfetti, 30 and 48. Kyle Connor, 29 in 32. They have good talent, but argue their most el- dangerous elite offensive player is a winger who really doesn't create opportunities on his own, being Kyle Connor. Morrissey's great on the on the power play, moves the puck extremely well. And Lowry defends, Appleton plays hard, Nita Ryder's been a great add to this team. I love Ayafalo. But I look at the group and go, if the goals dry up and you're banking on you winning a 2-1 hockey game every night, how many of those games are you going to win? They did that against the Bruins, they lost. They did it against the Maple Leafs prior to the All-Star break, they lost. They play the Pittsburgh Penguins where they play flat and they lose by four goals. To me, they're the team that's most likely to fall off and not be as good as they were in the first half because I just don't believe that they have the firepower to match some teams around them. To match Colorado, who has the best player in the sport. To match Dallas, who, despite the fact they gave up five last night to the Toronto Maple Leafs, scored four. And Evgeny Dadnoff scored two of them, a depth forward. Wyatt Johnson, a a sophomore player, gets a goal with a minute left to make it 5-4. They have players that can make a difference, that can score a goal, that can do something to create offense. And I just look around at the 
Winnipeg Jets, and I get a little worried. I go, I don't know. Do they have enough? Is there enough there? Do they have the weapons to score goals, to remain in these games? And I'm not completely confident. Winnipeg gets back on the ice tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers, who won their first game back against the Florida Panthers. I think the Jets are going to be a playoff team because they're too good not to be. I'm not making that argument. But looking at the standings, can something get interesting in, in one of these divisions? Did you look... Winnipeg trails Colorado and Dallas by three points, and they have three games in hand on both of them. St. Louis trails Winnipeg by 11 points. So Nothing really that close. But does their play dip, and would you favor Winnipeg in a series against Dallas or Colorado? I would not. I think it's paramount for the Winnipeg Jets to win this division, have your best chance of a first-round matchup against a wild-card team, get the winner of Dallas against Colorado, and you hope that it goes seven games and it was a war of attrition. Because I do think Winnipeg can be dangerous if they get into the playoffs the way their style, you you shrink the ice, all of that. And if Connor Hellebuck's playing like the cyborg that he can be at times, you're a dangerous club. But just shaping up the Winnipeg Jets compared to those other two behemoths, I don't think you're as good. Jake Ottinger and Connor Hellebuck are both pretty damn good goaltenders. Both Americans, and they're both elite. They can beat anybody on a given night. But I'm a little bit worried about the peg. That's my thought going into the second half. I'm a little bit concerned about the Bruins as well because I think the Bruins have a similar affliction. I think the Bruins not getting Elias Lindholm is a big deal. A much bigger deal than it was made of. It was more about Vancouver getting that player, and I get that argument. Vancouver wins their first game out of the break. You think about the big boys. Winnipeg lost. Toronto lost their first game. Colorado's lost twice. Vancouver's the only team, the behemoths. Edmonton lost, you know, winning 16 straight. They finally lose a game. Vancouver goes into, I watched the game, where do they play? Goes into Carolina, and they win a game on the road. And Elias Lindholm scores his first two goals as a Vancouver Canuck. He was the first star of the game. They didn't play great, but they played good enough to win. They get two points, and that's the major thing as we go into the second half. They start with a victory. So I look at Boston and I go, they still have the same issue. They need center help. Goaltending is very good. But you got Coyle, Zaka, Frederick when they want to play him at center, and Geeky. Not to mention Matthew Poitras out for the season with shoulder surgery. Looked like he injured it at the World Juniors, tried to come back, never got any better. He's done for the season, the rookie. 
So that's a potential guy that can play in the playoffs that's no longer available to you. Elias Lindholm goes to Canucks. Who can the Bruins get? Do you value Adam Henrique, who's playing with the Anaheim Ducks, who I think would fit with the Boston Bruins quite well, quite frankly. Scott Lawton, who's with the Flyers. Another guy I think wouldn't be a bad fit, but again, are they as good as Elias Lindholm? No, and that's kind of my point. Boston's kind of stumbled their way into being a Stanley Cup contender. I don't know if even internally, if they believe they would be this good this season. Losing what they lost. Trying to overcome missing those key key ingredients. Jake Gensel's a winger. I think you need centers. Winberg, not going to do it. Rosovic, no. Morgan Frost, no. Too young, inexperienced, not what, not what they need. They're another team that's going to have to try to be creative. Try to find a trade that makes sense. Because I still think they're a very good team. And Swayman and Allmark might be the best tandem netminders in the league. And Charlie Coyle's been better than anybody could have expected. Marshan playing it the, as the way he is at this age. Fantastic. Pasternak's a stud as always. That's no surprise. McAvoy's been great. Van Riemsdyk, I think, has been pretty damn good for later in his career. And you have him making one million bucks providing what he is. You'll take it. Playing Frederick. Frederick having 14 goals. Frederick's going to be a 20-plus goal scorer this year. All great. Talk about Jimmy Montgomery deserves a ton of credit. But I view Winnipeg and I view Boston similar where Boston's a little bit more elite because you have Pasternak, and he's a difference maker. Pasternak's a superstar. Winnipeg doesn't have one. Monahan's a good player, but he's not a difference maker. He doesn't change your team. He doesn't get inspire confidence that he's going to all of a sudden make you a more dangerous team, make you more of a Stanley Cup contender. And if I think anybody believes that, you are smoking some really good pot. I'd like to have some. If that's the rationale. Boston, Winnipeg are two behemoths from the first half that I worry about in the second half. How they're going to play. I absolutely think the Florida Panthers can catch the Boston Bruins. I'll even say this. I think the Maple Leafs are inconsistent as hell. They tried every which way to lose that game last night. They should have won it about four different times. But credit to them, every time that Dallas scored, they came right back and scored within a minute. Marner scoring that goal was huge. But could Toronto go on, they're trailing by 11 points with a game in hand. Could they go on a run and win the Atlantic Division? Yes. You have 32 game, 33 games for Toronto to do it. You absolutely could because they should have won the, they should, they should win this division. I said that from day one with their team, with the elite players that they have. They had the most guys of any team at, an, at the All-Star game. Should have been this from the beginning. I don't trust their goaltending. Samsonov was no good last night. Every goal he allowed was bad, and he allowed four of them. He was no good. 
But they want, could you catch them? Yes, because I think Boston's going to have a tougher second half. You play Boston twice in the beginning of March. Bruins have a tough matchup. They have to play Vancouver tonight. Vancouver just doesn't lose, period. Every night, Vancouver just wins. Somehow, someway. Goaltending, power play goals, Elias Lindholm, open, doesn't matter. They find a way to win. Edmonton lost their streak. 16 in a row. You go into Vegas. And Vegas really is their, their grim reaper. Vegas is the hatchet man to the to the Edmonton Oilers. Beat them in the second round last year. Vegas goes on to win the Stanley Cup. Every time they seem to match up, Vegas has their number. And Vegas said they're up and downs this year. Edmonton still very well could pass the Vegas Golden Knights in the standings. But Vegas is still a very dangerous team. They can beat anybody. And they're still very much a team that could repeat. Aiden Hill, when healthy, is a damn good goaltender. Barbashev, Carlson, you kind of forget about them. Marcheseau has 25 goals. Eichel. Mark Stone. Shea Theodore's only played 20 games this year due to injuries. Pretty damn good. Petrangelo, my guy, Chandler Stevenson. Edmonton's tried to adopt the Vegas style. Be a little more physical. You play well defensively. You capitalize on the other team's errors and you win the game. That's kind of Vegas in a nutshell. And they're great off the rush. With all that being said, Edmonton played a tight game. Vegas defended well. Edmonton defended pretty well. It's 2-1 late in the third period, and Bill Carlson hits an empty netter. That's the game Vegas wants to play. I think for Edmonton, you're bound to lose one. They hadn't lost since December 2nd or something prior to that game. It's two months they had not lost a hockey game. Bound to happen. You're in Vegas, road, all of that stuff. Vegas is still a problem for most of the league. Vegas would still scare the hell out of me. I don't I don't like Edmonton playing Vegas because I think they're big and they cause a lot of problems. Edmonton's gotten help because you get Dylan Holloway and you get Corey Perry for basically nothing to come to your team. As we are a month away from the trade deadline today. I think you look at it and go, Edmonton would love another defenseman, like every team in the league. But I don't think they need an elite guy. This is not like they're going, you know, Sean Walker, Nick Sealer might be fine for the Edmonton Oilers. Because you have Bouchard and you have Nurse. You have guys on making decent money on that back end already at home. Just some depth. I think another player up front is needed, in my opinion. They need another winger, another guy to aid this forward group. Looking at the guys, Gensel likely out of their price range. I don't see that happening. They want too much. 
you have like Frank Vetrano in Anaheim, who is intriguing, but he is a little small. I don't really want him. An Eberly reunion could be fun in Seattle. Kubalik's an underrated name in Ottawa. I like Kubalik personally. I think he's a decent player. Looking at the names here, Bushnevich. Fun player. Capo Caco, I don't think they'll trade him in New York, but maybe. So, I think they need another winger. They need to get a little bit heavy to prepare for Vancouver, who are big. Vegas, who is big. Eventually, if you get the Los Angeles Kings, if they get into the playoffs. But a loss was bound to happen. They've been playing some leakier hockey over the last little while. Even their head coach said, we're lucky to win some of these games. You get a wake-up call. They get they had yesterday off. They get today off in Anaheim. They play the Ducks tomorrow. The Los Angeles Kings on Saturday. The Los Angeles is first game without Todd McClellan behind the bench. So, curious to see how Edmonton plays over the next little while. Tonight, you, uh, so, uh, tonight, Jack Hughes returns for the Devils. That's big news for the Devils. They got the Flames tonight in New Jersey. Jack Hughes returns. They need him because he's their best player. And he just makes everything easier, makes everything more creative. So he's back in action tonight with the Flames in New Jersey. Jets, Flyers tonight, Capitals in Florida. Canucks, Bruins, which is a heavyweight fight. Colorado, Carolina, very fun game. Tampa, Islanders is good. And Vegas is in Arizona, where most of the waste management's been rained out this afternoon. So Arizona's getting bad weather. But this weekend, you get Capitals, Bruins, Avalanche in Florida, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg again, Battle of Ontario, Oilers, Kings. So it should be a pretty good hockey weekend, some interesting matchups. And yeah, we're only a month away from the NHL trade deadline. And really, it's on... It's on these teams. I try to do it sooner rather than later. Make these moves. Extra month with the player. Credit to Vancouver getting Elias Lindholm. You get him for February, March, April, to, prior to the playoff push. To I think for Vancouver, you want to get that first place. You want to play a wild card team, and you go from there. You'll take your chances with St. Louis or Nashville, whoever that last team ends up being as a wild card. You want to play them. You do not want to play Vegas. You do not want to play the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. You'll deal with that opponent when it comes. But getting Lynn home for me is Rick Tockett, you know, that team, Jim Rutherford saying, we're going to be first place in this division somehow, some way. But should be a good night. Also, Brendan Dillon received a three-game suspension from the league for his hit to the head of Nola Chari, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he's out for the next three games. He will miss the rematch with Pittsburgh on Saturday. So he's out tonight. 
out Saturday, out Monday is Brendan Dillon. NBA trade deadline today. It was a pretty quiet day overall. Lakers do nothing. Golden State does nothing. DeJounte Murray in Atlanta does not get moved. Trey Young doesn't get moved. Bruce Brown stays with the Raptors. Alex Caruso stays with the Chicago Bulls. She looked around and I kind of went, oh, well, first of all, the NBA was stupid enough to do the trade deadline during Super Bowl week. What, was this Major League Baseball with their ideas here? No, but there was some moves. To me, the, the team that did the best day was the New York Knicks. And I thought about this. I was born in 98. I think for the first time in my life, 25 years, the New York Knicks are a viable team and could potentially win the championship this year, and it's not crazy to say. I believe the New York Knicks could win the NBA championship this year. A few weeks ago, they traded for OG Ananobi, who needs elbow surgery, a cleanup. He's out three weeks, which sucks. And they're without Julius Randle, which sucks. But they're a damn good team. They have Jalen Brunson, who's played probably the best basketball of anybody over the last month. And I love Hartenstein. Josh Hart's a jack-of-all-trades. They just play as a team. But then today, they call up the Pistons. The Pistons just, they suck at a lot of things. Pistons suck at playing basketball. They suck at choosing head coaches. And they suck at trades, apparently. Because the Knicks get Bojan Bogdanovich, who is rumored to be, you know, offered multiple first rounders, a guy that was highly touted around. The, he's played good basketball in Detroit, despite the fact that he made a lot of money just on bad teams. Not his problem. But Bogdanovich, another wing player who can shoot threes, goes to the Knicks alongside Alec Burks, who played for the Knicks years ago, was really productive. Tom Thibodeau loved him. They just had to let him go in free agency because he made too much money. So you get Bogdanovich and Alex Burks. You lose Quentin Grimes, who's a versatile player. Malachi Flynn, who they got in the OG deal, who is hardly an NBA player. Evan Fournier, an expiring contract that they've wanted to get rid of for about three years. And three, sorry, two second rounders. How the Knicks don't trade a first round or have to do something to aid Detroit in this deal is beyond me. The Knicks get the two best players in the deal. The only guy that the Knicks will miss is Grimes. But you're going to have Mitchell Robinson, Hartenstein, Bogdanovich. You have some big bodies. Todd Gibson, Mr. Tenday back on the team. The Knicks have size. They don't really need him. Quite frankly, they don't need Quentin Grimes. I just... You also have Precious Achua, who can play the five. And Julius, when healthy. So, 
You have all all those big bodies. You lose Grimes, who's part of that. You get Bogdanovich, who's a wing. So now you have you have OG on the wings and alongside him. So you have your starter and the guy coming off the bench. And you get Alec Burks, who you have Brunson, you have DiVincenzo. Now you have Josh Hart and Alec Burks. Alec Burks is just a heat check guy off the bench, come in, get buckets, average 10 to 12 points a game, take 8 to 10 shots, and he's a pretty good defender. The Knicks need health. They need some some good luck in that area. But they can they compete? I think they can. They can beat the Cavs. They did it last year. They can beat the Heat this year, despite the fact they have a better team this year than they did last year. The Celtics are still the favorites, obviously. Celtics add an extra big man in Xavier Tillman from Memphis, but they really don't do anything else. They didn't have the money. They don't have the, the players to make any big deals. But to me, the Knicks, Jalen Brunson is their best player. He's as clutch as anybody. Could the Knicks be in the conference final this year? Absolutely, with the Boston Celtics. I think the Knicks can beat Milwaukee in a playoff series. I think the Knicks can beat Miami. They can beat Cleveland. The 76ers are done. The 76ers are trash. They're losing by 30 in a nightly basis. They lost by 30 to the Golden State Warriors last night in Philadelphia. They are a train wreck right now without Joel Embiid. So the Knicks don't get great players. They get good players, but they did the OG deal already. They had a great defender. Now now you had a great three-point shooter, a great guy off the bench. The Knicks are really good, and they keep their flexibility to see what they want to do next year. If they want to look at getting LeBron, if he's sick of the Lakers because they do nothing today, or if Embiid wants out of Philadelphia and want to take a chance with him, you still have the flexibility to do it, and you get to compete this year. The Mecca, sell tickets, all that. Love it for the Knicks. Pistons, joke, horrible trade. You have seven wins, and it's February. You're the worst team in the NBA. I will say, Indiana did not do did not do much better. They traded Buddy Heald, who's been on the trade block for like a year and a half. Two years ago, it was like, oh, Buddy Heald's going to go to the Lakers to play with LeBron. Never happened. He just stuck with Indiana. But they got Siakam, and they've gotten Halliburton over that time. And you look around and go, Buddy Heald really doesn't have a place. He's a two-guard, and you have too many guys already. It's clogged up. So they traded Buddy Heald to the Philadelphia 76ers today. 76ers need some scoring because Tyrese Maxey cannot do it all. And I just talked about how they're losing by 30 every night. So you get a good three-point shooter. You need that. And really their team is... Thin with Oubre. Look, last night, Oubre 5 for 15. Tobias Harris 6 for 14. Paul Reed was 3 for 6. Maxi's 5 for 14. Springer, who got traded today, 3 for 9. I mean, Pat Bev was an efficient shooter. He was 5 for 8, but he got traded to the Bucks, So they, they moved off from him. 
So you add Buddy Heald, who can shoot the three, who will help your team. Philadelphia, despite the fact they don't have Joel, will be a playoff team. So he does help you. Indiana gets Marcus Morris, expiring contract. Cork Moss, backup slash third point guard on Indiana, and three second rounders. It's basically just a garbage bin of crap that Philadelphia didn't want. And three second-round picks. I don't know how that helps Indiana. Trying to compete. You traded for Siakam. You're hopefully going to lock him up in the summer. You have Tyrese Halliburton. Three second-rounders? Unless there's a bigger deal next year, like that's what Chris Haynes is reporting about the Lakers. Oh, they're going to keep all their – they're going to have three first-rounders to do something big next year. How does that help LeBron now? He's 40 fucking years old. Is he going to be better next year at 40 in year 22? It doesn't make sense. I'd rather keep Buddy Heel for the year. I think he'd help you win more games than any of the crap they got, including the second rounders. Stupid. Oklahoma City gets Gordon Hayward. Add a wing player. Gordon Hayward, not what he used to be for sure. But what I will say is he can play. He, he competes, he's available, and I think he fits with Oklahoma City. I think it was a good deal, quite frankly. I think they get a guy that's going to work with this team. You love Shea, Jalen Williams, Chet at center, Giddy's great, shooting's not fantastic, Lou Dort, good to 3 and D guy, Cason Wallace. You just had another guy, another wing player, who they can decide they want to bring him off the bench or start him. Oklahoma City has to look at themselves and go, we could do some damage this year. We're first in the West with the Minnesota Timberwolves. We can beat anybody, which they can. It's not crazy if they have that opinion. So I like the deal for OKC. They still have picks where you can do more in the offseason like every team is planning now. The Lake, you can add that name to the Lakers and Indiana of making a bigger splash in the offseason. But they remain competitive, and you only give up Trey Mann and Davis Bertons for him, which is nothing. Raptors were active today. First trade was with the Utah Jazz. They get Kelly Olenek, Canadian center, and Oche Objabi, who's a national championship winner at Kansas, was a really good college player. Hasn't got a whole lot of opportunity in the NBA so far. I don't. I like getting him, taking a chance on him. I think he can play. Again, a really good college player. Shot over 40% from three in college. Did, hasn't gotten the most opportunity in Utah. Fresh start. They're not going to be a good team. You need to try to develop talent. I like it. But Utah, in return, gets Otto Porter Jr., expiring contract, hasn't played many games as a Raptor. Kyrie Lewis, again, not a guy who plays minutes. And a 2024 first-round pick, which is from Oklahoma City, that will likely be in the 27 to 29 range in this year's draft. Olenek's on an expiring contract, so the Raptors can decide if they want to re-up or he will leave for nothing in the summer. They did this last year with Pirtle, and they traded a first for Pirtle, and they locked him up. 
Olenek's a different kind of player because he can shoot three. He's actually a pretty good three-point shooter as a big man. He can stretch the floor. I don't get giving up a – you might say, oh, it's a first-round pick. It's a 29th out of 30 picks. For the Raptors, that's more valuable because you're not going to be any good. You're going to have Scotty Barnes and a bunch of trash over the next little while. This team's going through a full rebuild. They're not going to be competitive. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference with with Detroit, with Charlotte, who they played last night over the next little while. So is keeping Olenek a priority to have two centers? Maybe. He's not the worst guy to have in your team. He is a competitor. He was on some good Celtics teams going to conference finals and playing in those. And he's played for Canada basketball, obviously. He'll play for Canada basketball this summer at the Paris Olympics. It's a great story, Olenek coming home. But I wouldn't have acquired – I'd let another team acquire Olenek for a first-rounder. And I think Utah takes that deal because they weren't getting a first-rounder from any other team for Kelly Olenek. The Raps then made a deal, made a swap for veteran point guards. Dennis Schroeder goes to the Brooklyn Nets. Spencer Dinwiddie goes to the Raps. He's only 30 years old, but he was then waived this afternoon. So he will be a buyout candidate. I think he'll be a popular one. He's suspected to be on the buyout market with Kyle Lowry, another former Raptor, who will be bought out by the Charlotte Hornets. Looking up those guys, but... Dinwiddie acquired then lost. Schroeder was a starter to begin the year, fell off in the rotation, and was coming off the bench. But not a guy that was necessarily, you know, a difference maker, so to speak. The Raptors did some business. They they were the most active team. They lost. They traded OG, they traded Pascal, Schroeder, first-rounder, Otto Porter Jr. So, of all these teams, they were the most active, dumping off some pretty pretty great players. So, interesting there. It's already some rumors that Dinwiddie could be playing for the Los Angeles Lakers. I mentioned Pat Bev goes to the Bucks in the last deal. P.J. Washington of the Charlotte Hornets, he goes to the Dallas Mavericks. They needed a wing. They did. They trade Seth Curry, Grant Williams, who was a key member of the Boston Celtics. He goes to the Mavericks. Was great in his first month. Was going His three-point percentage was going down by the month. He missed some games due to injury. He gets sent to Charlotte and a first-rounder. Grant Williams has three years left on his deal at $14 million, so he will not be a bio. He'll be a Charlotte Hornet, Charlotte Hornet for a while now, which I'm sure he's not thrilled going to a team that has 10 wins and no chance of making the playoffs. But P.J. Washington goes. Miles Bridges was a coveted piece from Charlotte, but he wouldn't be traded. He told the team, I'm not waiving my no-move clause. I'm staying here throughout the rest of the year. We'll figure out my future in the offseason. So they decide to go with Mr. P.J. Washington, who, solid player, decent defensively, 
Shot two for 11 last night. It's not a great game against the Raptors. Played 31 minutes. You look at his year as a whole, he's 14 points per game, 44% from the field, 32% from three, not exactly elite, 71% from the three-throw line. He's not having a great year. But I think the Mavericks were desperate to do something to get some type of wing player, and they get him. Mavericks are playing the Knicks tonight, so two teams that were active today meet up. They look at the Mavericks, Doncic, Irving, Hardaway, all guards, Exum guard, Lively, a small center. They were really a, a wingless team. They get one, they get a wing that isn't all that great, but you give up Grant Williams, who's a tough piece, but again, wasn't really fitting in, and Seth Curry, who's another guard who shoots threes. I think Charlotte will probably buy out Seth Curry. He'll be available to teams down the stretch. But Andrew Wiggins doesn't get moved. Kaminga doesn't go. Clay Thompson. DeJounte Murray stays in Atlanta. Bruce Brown remains with the Raptors. Puzzling move to me. Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan all stay with the Chicago Bulls. So there could have been activity, but there wasn't in a pretty quiet, uneventful NBA trade deadline. Finally, to wrap up the show... UFC Vegas 86 this weekend at the Apex. Sounds like Elon Musk is going to be in attendance because he's attending the Super Bowl. So he's going to watch it Saturday night, then watch the Super Bowl on Sunday. The main event, you have Jack Hermanson against Joe Pfeiffer in the middleweight division. Jack Hermanson's not fought since December 2022. Joe Pfeiffer has won his last three fights via stoppage. He's just a beast. Scary individual. Unranked in the middleweight division, but he's hoping to be ranked after a win this weekend. By far the toughest opponent of his career. But Joe Pfeiffer is a big favorite going into this minus 280. I like Joe to win and I like Joe to finish Jack Hermanson. This weekend, I think Joe's that good. He's the future of the division. He's super talented, been through a lot of hard things in his life, dislocated his arm on the Dana White Contender Series. Looked like his career could be over. Came back, got a knockout the Contender Series, and has not gone to a decision since during his UFC career. I think he gets another win this weekend. Co-main event, Dan Ige against Andre Tushifili. Dan Ige's been around for a while. Just a veteran has fought the best. He's lost some of these fights. His last fight, he lost to Bryce Mitchell in a close fight. Andre Feely's coming off a victory in December. I expect this to be a really entertaining fight. Dan Ige's always just in it. He, he rarely gets finished. Tough guy. But you can get Andre Feely right now, plus 142. He's taken the fight on short notice. But he was riding momentum from his last. I think he gets the win, gets ranked in that in the uh, featherweight division. I like Andre Feely to win this one. Brad Tavares, Gregory Rodriguez. Brad Tavares coming off a victory over uh, Chris Weidman. Gregory Rodriguez has been on the rise for a while. If Brad Tavares wins this weekend, 
He will be tied with Michael Bisping for the most wins in UFC middleweight history, which is something else. And he's tied for the second most appearances in the history of the UFC in that division. Rodriguez punches hard. Tavares great with light kicks, breaking you down. I like Tavares. You can get him at plus 190 right now. To me, he's a good fight. He finds ways to stick in these fights. I don't know if you'll see a finish in this one. It might go to decision. If it does, I'm taking Brad Tavares. I think he's a more technical fighter. The leg kicks, he can get you to the ground. He will win that way. Two veterans, Michael, Johnson's, Michael Johnson and Darius Flowers. Michael Johnson did not fight in 2023. He's 39. He has second most pro fights currently just in MMA. Darius Flowers, another veteran of the sport. Two guys that have been in a lot of wars. Michael Johnson's a slight favorite. I like him to win. Bounce back. Rest of the card, Rodolfo Vieira against Armin Petrosian. I like Petrosian to win that fight. E.R. Bateria against Robert Bursak. I like Petoria to bounce back, get a victory. Not the best Apex card. I think the main event and co-main event are both very good. We have another weekend before UFC 298 in Anaheim. A week from Saturday. So looking forward to that. But this weekend's about the Super Bowl. The last game of the NFL season. It's sad. We'll be back after the weekend to recap it all with, with all of you. Hope you guys enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the halftime. Enjoy the halftime show if you like Usher. Until next time, take care. This is to the point.